they don't want extras because they, uh, they're playing with it, it's not scripted, a lot of it will be improvised. So we can't guarantee any lines, um, but you know, it will be a, an interesting experience. Are you, how do you feel about it? I had to find something that I could hide behind if I had a crisis. So that's how I became Sheila the Mousy Girl. We'd done a few sort of sideways looks, just again, just for a bit of fun. And they picked up on that and they liked that. So, so when we came to that, it was quite easy to play it with him. Hi, and welcome to episode three of What's an Office, the podcast. This time we're hearing from Jane Lucas, who played Sheila. Her character featured in both series and the Christmas specials. Not a big talker, Sheila was known as Mousy Girl on set. But she has one of the most memorable lines in the sitcom, with her response to the question, Sheila, what do you look for in a bloke? Here Jane describes how she created the character of Sheila, and her thoughts on her time in the show. Jane has a unique perspective on acting, given she had a full career beforehand as a nurse. She also made a second career change after The Office, when she became an acting agent. We sat down together in Guildford. Jane, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. And we are, we are here at the Yvonne Arno Theatre in Guildford. That's right. Lovely yes. part of the world and a lovely theatre. It is indeed, and local to me because I live in Guildford. So um, obviously we are here to talk about The Office, but we don't want to get onto that just yet. Um, I read on your, your website that also you had a career in uh, nursing. Was that before acting? Yes, indeed, yes. Um, I trained as a nurse way back in the early 80s after I'd done my A-levels um, and did a degree in nursing, actually. Um, I never wanted to be a nurse. I always wanted to be within the theatrical world, but uh, uh, medical parents and uh, no money or support to go to drama school because back in those days there weren't degrees in drama. It was uh, trying to get a grant and I didn't have a hope in hell. So I went and did a degree in nursing, so ultimately I would be a graduate and if I was brave enough, I would uh, make the shift across. It wasn't quite as calculated as that, but yes, I did a four-year degree in nursing at St Thomas's and South Bank, and then had a full-blown nursing career before I shifted across. How many years did you do nursing for? In total, 15. Oh, OK. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the first bit in London, trained in London, then did my post-reg at St Thomas's, so I'm a fully-fledged uh, nightingale, <laughs> in honour of Florence Nightingale. Um, and then I moved back down to Guildford, which was my home, and uh, worked at the Royal Surrey for almost 10 years. I set up the post-operative pain service at the Royal Surrey, uh, so dealt with, well, writing business plans, protocols, to teaching, auditing, as well as seeing the patients who'd been through major surgery and were on patient-controlled analgesia, intravenous pumps, and epidural infusions. So again, quite interesting. I was yeah. very lucky. So. A good, a good successful career in nursing and then you decided to pivot into acting. <laughs> How did that come about? Well, that's a very good question. I, I mean, I always acted and I sang in various groups actually, uh, so semi-professionally while I was nursing and the, the need to do it never went away. And I had a couple of friends who were taking the plunge and were going to drama school and while I was in the process of applying, a very close friend was killed in a car crash, and she was only in her late 20s, and I just thought, do you know, you just don't know how long you're here for, what am I doing? And I had 
gone as far in clinical nursing as I could go. There was some pressure to do a master's and I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to do that. I'd had enough of pure academics after my first degree. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to do it now is probably a good moment to just go with the flow. So I did. I uh, continued with the applications to drama school and uh, did a postgrad, did a postgrad uh, one-year course and the rest is history. Wow. It just goes to show that people can um, change their careers if they want to, even at any age, really. Absolutely, yeah. So you went to, to drama school and then do you remember what your first jobs were when you came out? Yes, again, <clears throat> excuse me, I was really lucky. I uh, worked with some, although it was post-grad post and just one-year course, I worked with some amazing directors and musical directors. And although the, the course was classical acting, so a lot of Shakespeare and Chekhov and so on, um, it did have a musical theatre element as well, so I had to sing. Um, and two of the people I'd worked with were doing a production at the Mermaid Theatre when it was still open. Um, in fact, it was one of the last productions before it closed, and it was a production called The Hop Pickers, uh, set in Kent, about hop pickers. <laughs> and it, one of the, well, the second female lead uh, got a television really good job, so she dropped out at the last minute. So I went in and played the second lead at The Mermaid as my first job, so yeah. <laughs> pretty lucky, really. Yeah. And then I worked with a wonderful director called Philip Grout, who taught me at drama school. Um, and again was doing fringe things, but he had a really illustrious career in his time and very sadly passed away a few months ago. So um, sort of an end of an era there, but he got me going and he was one of those wonderful people who just filled you with confidence and made you feel you could, you could do anything. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And everyone needs those kind of inspirational people uh, in their childhood and whatever early Absolutely. is going on because... Now, when you think about people who go on to be writers, often it's the English teacher at school that inspires them, isn't it? Yes, indeed. And I did have a wonderful English teacher at school too. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. That leads us on to The Office. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, how did you come to be in it? Well, actually that links in very nicely because I was doing another uh, production at the Battersea Arts Centre, um, Fringe Production, over Christmas a few years later. And it was the... Only a few years later, maybe two or three years later, um, it was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And um, again, it, same team on it, uh, uh, director, musical director, choreographer, and it had fantastic reviews. So everybody wanted to come and see it. So um, casting directors from the National, the RSC, the every, everybody, telly, film, everything, including uh, the amazing Tracy Gillam and Rachel Freck. And they came to see the production, and I, we, we kept a list of industry people who came because, again, it was fringe, it was very low money. The reason for doing it was to be seen and to make connections. And um, I wrote to various people afterwards, including Tracy and Rachel, and they rang me up and said, we are casting a pilot. The main parts have been cast, but the team want actors um, and comedians, but largely actors, uh, in the little parts. They don't want extras because they, uh, they're playing with it. It's not scripted. A lot of it will be improvised. So we can't guarantee any lines. Um, but, you know, it will be a, an interesting experience. Are you, how do you feel about it? And I said I'd love to do it because I'd done very little telly and it sounded like a really exciting opportunity. And uh, I did, you know, obviously that then they cast me in the pilot. So I was very, very lucky. So you didn't actually have an audition. You were literally cast yeah. straight away. Yeah. 
And I think probably because I was a bit older, it was perhaps harder to get people who would do that because people wanted lines and bigger parts. Mm. Whereas I'd done, I'd come into the industry late and I had done very little telly. So it made sense for me to <laughs> bite the bullet and say, yes, please. So you went straight into the pilot. Yes. So what were your, your first impressions when you walked onto the set of the pilot? Ah, oh, well, <laughs> um, goodness me. In all honesty, I don't remember an enormous amount about my first impressions because very sadly we did the pilot Monday to Friday and it was the middle of February so it was winter time and on the Saturday preceding that Saturday evening my mother died unexpectedly so I was sort of numb <laughs> but I'd committed to doing it I didn't have any way of contacting people to say what had happened and anyway my mum knew I was doing it and my brother said, you know, there's got to be a, an inquest. Um, uh, there's nothing we can do. You should go ahead and do it. And I thought, well, yeah, actually, right. You know, what am I going to do? Sit and mope at home? That's ridiculous. So I went on and did it. So when we got there, they wanted everybody to be really natural and themselves. And everybody was. Um, that was quite hard for me because I had to find something that I could hide behind if I had a crisis. So that's how I became... Sheila, the mousy girl, because I needed something that I could withdraw behind if I suddenly was really sad or, you know. Um, so although I was myself, I was a bit more guarded, shall we say. So did you actually create Sheila as a, as a character or did they yes. say what you need to be no, like? No, 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 no. I created Sheila as a character and then they liked it and uh, they wanted, obviously, then they took me through into the series and the second series and the specials. So I was in the whole lot. Wow. Because Sheila, I mean, she's got quite old-fashioned clothing, hasn't she? <laughs> and, and the accent is very different from your accent. So just tell us about that. Well, oh gosh. Well, again, I suppose um, certainly the dowdy clothing. I think they just thought that was funny and it was, you know. Um, um, and because I was playing this reserved, mousy, withdrawn character, it did sort of fit. Had my mum not died... It might have been a different story and a different character, but actually that, that sort of just informed how it was and how that developed. Um, yeah. And why was it called Mousy, Mousy Girl? What was <laughs> because she was withdrawn and repressed. And was that in the script or was that because of the character you created? Yeah, that was, she became Sheila the Mousy Girl and was referred to as Mousy at times and Sheila at times. And um, um, yeah, that was because what, was developed in the pilot, I suppose, yeah. So Ricky and Steve, yep. um, heard from Robin about his experiences working with them. What, what were your experiences working with, with those two? Well, I mean, they're brilliant. They're geniuses. Um, they're very different. Um, Ricky, well, they're obviously both very bright, very quick, very funny. Um, uh, Ricky is uh, an extraordinary character who knows where he wants to get and plays around till he, till he gets it. Um, Stephen came across, across as much more laid back um, and probably more approachable from a female perspective. Um, Ricky related really well to bright young comedians. Um, I mean, they both were great and they both, you know, um, uh, had different styles. But I found Stephen probably easier to relate to. Mm. Because I think um, 
Robin said to me that it could be a bit of a male atmosphere on set. Is that something that you would recognise? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. But it wasn't a problem. It was, I mean, that the character he was playing <laughs> was a male, arrogant, egotistical <laughs> creature, you know. Um, so that was sort of inevitable. And it was his vehicle. You know, we have to accept and remember that. And there were some brilliant people obviously in it and some um, worked with an amazing bunch of actors a lot of whom have had wonderful careers you know which is fantastic um um there was also a lot of really good stuff that they wrote and uh, was played beautifully that ended up on the cutting room floor because it wasn't ricky centric or david brent centric and it wasn't driving forward and uh, uh, there was a lot that was you know, um, overshot, if you like. They would have been way over. They couldn't have used it all. Because every scene had to take them to a new place. Yeah. It, it was so tight in that respect, I suppose. Yes, yes. And um, so, so Ricky, um, do you think he was kind of in the zone, creative zone the whole time on set? Do you think that's how he, how he worked on, at that point? Yes, I think they both did, because they'd shoot something um, and then Ricky and Stephen would watch it back on the monitor and decide if it worked or if it didn't um, and how they might do it better. I mean, it's fair to say that when Martin Freeman or Lucy Davis or Mackenzie did a take, it would usually be one or two. (laughs) Ricky, it might be considerably more. (laughs) Yeah, because he didn't mind the giggles, did he? Like on yeah. on set, he, he, do you think he thought that helped? Uh, just being on the edge, or do you think I he just couldn't help it? I don't think he could help it. I think it was just the way it was, and and it, again, it was a new thing for him. You know, he's done tons and tons since, but The Office was very yeah. well, very early on in his acting career, as opposed to actor presenter yeah. type thing. Were you conscious? Did you feel like you were less able to laugh, or did you feel like? we can all laugh for on, on set oh there were moments where we could all laugh absolutely but equally there were moments where no you couldn't laugh because the whole humor was the fact that everybody thought he was a complete prat yeah. so no and it would there would be some really funny things going on and you just have to look not just as though it wasn't funny but as though you were bored out of your mind yeah. <laughs> i'm thinking about the training day you know that you know when he's there training everyone and playing the guitar and stuff some of the funniest comedy uk comedy probably ever in my opinion and you have to just sit there and and look bored yes how difficult is that well it became quite easy because a lot of the time we were sitting around waiting and a lot of the time because it was set in the open plan office you were still sitting at your desk and (laughs) there were moments where that really was quite boring so you could tap into that quite easily that was okay what were you actually doing at your at your computers? Were you just well, what in, were you doing? Initially, absolutely nothing. And then we said, look, that's fine, but could you please just rig them up so we can actually use them? Because then we could play solitaire or yeah. you know, games. And actually, I used because again, it was early on in my career. I used some of the time if I wasn't directly on set, um, but just had to be sitting there writing letters to casting directors, directors, producers, industry people to try and get the next job. Right, but you didn't do that on camera. Um, occasionally, if they wanted the <laughs> tapping away, yes, I would do it on camera. But obviously not, not where they could see the screen, you know, but if it, I was in profile or whatever, yes. Wow. So, so you didn't actually have any lines initially? No. And, and in the end you had... Actually, no, I did have some lines initially. 
I can't remember if it was the first series or the second series, but again, they were with other characters, uh, with Martin or Ricky, sorry, with Martin or Mackenzie, right. and so they, they didn't make it through the, the cut. What were they? What kind of scenes were they? Well, there was a scene in uh, the stairwell, <laughs> which again was very funny. Um, actually, I don't know. I've never watched all of the outtakes. I don't know if it's in I don't think. I think I've watched the outtakes. Okay. I don't remember them. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. I haven't watched them for a while, but I don't remember. But in the stairwell was, with Mackenzie. Yes. And there was another um, time with, with some of the redundancy um, stuff. There were other lines there. Um, but there weren't, no, I mean, there weren't many lines and I wasn't expecting lines. And then, of course, in the second series, one day Ricky went, Jane, Jane, <laughs> I want you to do this. <laughs> and that's when <laughs> yeah, with the, the iconic line was yeah. born. Yeah. Sheila, what do you look for in a bloke? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was your reaction when you got that line? Well, again, we had sort of helped that along a little bit because I was sitting next to um, Howard Sadley, um, who played... Oliver? Oliver, thank you. Yes, and um, we'd sort of put in that I was a bit keen. You know, we'd we'd done a few sort of sideways looks, just, again, just for a bit of fun, Mm. and they picked up on that, and they liked that, so... So when we came to that, it was quite easy to play it with him. And, you know, he just put his sandwich down in disgust. But in <laughs> Sheila's mind, this had been happening for a while. <laughs> I actually, I watched it this morning and uh, it's brilliantly timed, isn't it? You just <laughs> left it, you know, looking around, silently looked down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had to be done. Yeah. It was quite funny, though. I used to, Oliver, sorry, Oliver, Howard used to live in Guildford as well. So I used to give him a lift into the studio most days. And, um, um, it just it, it amused people that there was Sheila driving Oliver to work. Because so, Ewan said that he also didn't have any lines initially, but uh, they, Robin also said they really took a liking to him and like this guy is hilarious yes. and gave him full scenes and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So it shows how kind of it wasn't all set in stone in the first series. Yes. And it, as it went on, did it become more set in stone and less um, creative? Yeah, I mean it was more scripted. As again, uh, you know, um, and I think particularly in the second series, because they knew more where they were going and how it was working. And what had worked. So, um, yeah, it was more scripted then. What kind of a bond was there in the, in, in the cast then? Because obviously you, unlike Robin obviously did only series one, but you did series one, two and Christmas specials yes. as well. So what was, the, what was the bond with the cast like? Well, it was really good, actually, which doesn't always happen with television. You tend to get the bonds more with um, theatre jobs because you're rehearsing together, you're often sharing dressing rooms and then you're performing together and you're very reliant on each other. Television, you're still reliant on each other, but it doesn't tend to, in my experience, create quite the same bonds. The office was different because we did all sit around together for long periods, either on set or in the green room. Um, And I regret to say I can't remember which series it was now, but in one of the series, in one of the series, um, uh, the World Cup was on. So we used to go in early to watch the England matches. That would be 2002, oh, I think, okay, which would be Series you. 2, probably. Um, yes, it probably was. Yeah. Um, 
And that was brilliant because, again, that was a everybody was watching that together or anyone who was interested. And I oh, that's on the DVD, isn't it? Everyone watching it, and everyone—I don't know if you've seen that. Everyone's watching the TV, then they scored. Everyone's jumping up and down, <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> oh, how, yeah. yeah. So those sort of things. And when we got to the Christmas specials, um, it was like a big reunion. It was really lovely to see people because, you know, my career had moved on quite a lot in that time. I'd done some lovely theatre jobs and some other tellies and so had a lot of other people so it was just it was just really positive mm. and uh, how do you reflect on working with like Martin Freeman because he's now this huge star isn't he yeah he's brilliant lovely guy and I've seen him obviously since and I've been to see him in um, theatre productions and he's just the same as he always was yeah, yeah. that's so lovely. refreshing isn't it yeah but Did good for him. I think he's brilliant. And and in the office, I mean, in the pilot, he stood out as absolutely amazing and so natural and and coped with the whole <laughs> way of working and the personalities brilliantly. I th- wonder, do you think other people might have struggled initially to really dive in there? And, and, and he seemed to kind of just embrace it. He kind of was it. He was Tim, wasn't he? Yes. I think that when you see him in all he does, he you know, grasps the character and, and creates something magical, really. I think he's incredibly talented. And it's lovely when people are that they do get to fly like that. And I think you were with, um, just getting back to Sheila, uh, with, with Gareth, uh, you, there's two instances. One when um, he is in la- he's launching an investigation into who does the photo and you yes. were his assistant. Yes. And, and there's another one where he says, uh, do you trust me? And you're the only one who puts your <laughs> hand up. <laughs> what, just reflecting on Mackenzie and how he worked, what did you think about him as, a, an, as an actor and as a person? Again, I think he's lovely. Um, really, both Martin and Mackenzie um, were very genuine and also very humble. They weren't sort of, oh, I can do this, you know, oh, yes, it's all about me. At all. They were very much, you'd say, you know, you, you might say to them, God, that was brilliant. That was so funny. I don't know how you managed to do that without laughing or whatever. And they'd, oh, was it okay? Not, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, it was, they were absolutely lovely. And, and Mackenzie is very much the same. And I went to Lucy Davis's wedding um, in St. Paul's, which was a fabulous day. Absolutely wonderful. And um, Mackenzie was, was, I was chatting to him at the reception afterwards. And he was in the middle of filming all the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, which had overrun hugely, which was really difficult with family life and so on. But he was just the same, you know, good people. Yeah, and he's now doing Detectorists. Yes. Have you seen that? Yes. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we've had clients in that, actually. Really? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of similar in the sense that it's kind of, a, it's kind of uh, there's a lot of naturalism, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And it's but more of a gentle humour, I think. Yes, yes. But I think it probably has, you know, a big cult following as well. Yeah, I think My so. My wife loves it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's it's gone from series to series, so, yeah. And he wrote that as well, didn't he? Yeah. Very clever impressive. boy, clever boy. So, when did you know you were onto something really, really important? Oh, goodness. I don't remember. I suppose... I suppose when the second series was commissioned... Because then, obviously, um, it's exciting. There's another go. But they, I think what happened was they repeated the first series before televising the second series, and that's when it really took off. Because I think initially, when people watched it the first time, 
some people turned it off thinking it was a really agonising documentary. Yeah. And they didn't realise that it was... And I mean, a lot of people said uh, it's funny, or they still say it's funny, but um, it's too real. Yeah. I never understood that because I was obviously much younger. But now you watch it and you think, wow, I can see what they meant now. Because <laughs> yeah. it was so bang on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of truth in there along with the, the comedy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's what made it work really yeah the mixture of those two yes and the mixture of ricky and and steven just coming back to their to those two what do you think made that work so well that 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 partnership i think they're very different but i think there's a huge mutual respect and actually their styles are different too Mm. but um yeah they work brilliantly together and the um director of photography um andy hollis he was amazing sound guys I mean the, the whole team were really great and Anil Gupta and Ashatala. no I mean it, it had its moments of being frustrating <laughs> when you're sitting there doing very little unquestionably but um, you know there were also magical wonderful moments and I learnt a lot uh, really you can learn a lot watching and listening and um, you know I'm very grateful for the opportunity what kind of things did you learn then <laughs> Well, um, other than how to be good at solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite master that. Um, well, subtlety, timing. And I think actually that, um, watching pe- people being incredibly naturalistic is a real art. And um, as you said, Martin and Lucy Davis are both brilliant at that. After the office, you, you had lots of, you had, from what I can see, the bill and silk. <laughs> And lots of plays and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. How was your career after it finished? Well, I, I did a couple of West End jobs, which were really lovely. You know, it was a dream for any actor, I think, to be in the West End um, or in really good theatre. And I did The Constant Wife um, at the Lyric in Shaftesbury Avenue for a few months. And that was wonderful. And um, I remember actually we had a screening. It must have been... I don't remember again if it was the first series or the second series, probably the second series, um, in Shaftesbury Avenue. And I could only go to the latter part because I was on stage. And the production was set in the 1920s, so my hair was all in 20s style. And after the production, Wisdown joined them all for the end of it and the, the do afterwards. And people didn't recognise me because, of <laughs> course, I was not presented as Sheila the Mousy Girl or me. I was, you know, this um, curly-haired sort of 1920s... <laughs> creature it was very funny but um uh yeah so i did that i did another production a couple of years later in um in the west end it was a musical beautiful and damned which craig revel Hallwood directed um and uh i had to learn to tap dance for that <laughs> five weeks to learn to tap dance but being craig i did it but i was really in as the sort of comedy character um character actress so i played various roles and um had a ball what was he like to work with uh, he's lovely i'm really fond of craig yeah did he say you were fabulous (laughs) well not regarding my dancing no (laughs) (laughs) but he did say you can do it you can do it and i did (laughs) but no he was great to work with um and um you know he's very honest he's very direct but i wanted that i needed to learn you know i was an actress and done quite a bit of comedy and I could sing in tune and hold harmonies, but I was not a singer and I was definitely not a dancer. So, you know, I learned a huge amount. 
But yeah, so I had some lovely times theatre and I did some interesting tours with some amazing people. You know, um, Alan Bates, who you probably never heard of, but he was a wonderful actor. I did Dorian Gray with him and his son. And um, Charlie's aunt with Eric Sykes and Biggins, Christopher Biggins, and oh. <laughs> Neil Malarkey, another comedy. Um, um, I did a production of uh, Dracula that toured Again, with wonderful people, wonderful directors. I was very, very fortunate. So um, you've had you had the plays and more work um, afterwards. Um, so then you created a talent agency. <laughs> That's right. Were you, were you acting at the same time as creating it, or was it, did yes. you just change? I did my last few productions actually back in I think it was it was two thousand and five. I did the tour of Dracula. And then I l- finished that and I went and did a production of Oliver um, in Aberystwyth, where I worked with some fantastic people again, including actually Taron Edgerton. Wow. Who was one of the Artful Dodgers, who absolutely stood out. He was brilliant then, really? 15. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And then I, that was over the summer. And then I came back and I did some bits of filming and telly including one of the latter bits of the bill before that finished. And I played a, a reverend in a Christmas episode. <laughs> um, uh, that was great fun. And then people have been saying, oh, you should be an agent, you know, you know everybody, da 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 And I said, no, I'm an actress, no, I'm an actress. And then someone said, well, what about doing it in a partnership so you can still act? And I said, okay, that's more interesting, let's talk. So that's actually how it was developed with the idea that it was a partnership and that therefore if I had acting jobs the partner would take over and I would opt out for a bit and then come back. The reality was that the other person I think probably was not completely aware of how much time and effort it would take and that didn't work. So I ended up holding the baby as it were. (laughs) And then of course you've got people's uh, careers in your hands so you can't let them down. So I did still do little bits of acting and I did Silk. um, But that actually I was really lucky. It it shot on a Sunday (laughs) because of the uh, Royal Courts of Justice. Of course they weren't being used on a Sunday. So the, well this this particular bit was, yes. Um, And um, so yes, I did do little bits of acting and some voiceover bits and pieces now and again. um, but predominantly, uh, the acting took a back seat and I uh, continued with the agency. And I was offered a job, uh, another musical actually, at short notice, but I turned it down because I didn't have time to get adequate cover uh, to cover the agency for that period. It would have been two or three months and that just wasn't fair. And I think that I, maybe it's the nursing background. Once I'd taken it on and I was looking after other people's careers, there's a responsibility there that you can't. Shirk. So this is your second career change, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> incredible, right. really. Um, how difficult it, is it to set up a talent agency? Well, from scratch, I mean, it wasn't great timing. We were heading into a recession. <laughs> um, and it is an awful lot of work. And building from scratch wasn't easy. But against that, thanks to the office and the royalties, I did have a cushion. Without that, I would not financially have been able to take the risk of setting up the agency because inevitably it takes a while to build the list and to uh, build the reputation and for people to trust you and to want to see and work with your clients and with and with you <laughs> so you know it does take a while but thanks to the office I was able to afford to take that risk um, but we built from scratch and um, 
um, you know, got onto people's lists. And we now, we built very evenly, deliberately. I'd, I'd worked in all areas of the industry and I didn't want people to be pigeonholed. So I um, tried to build really evenly. So film, television, theatre, musical theatre, um, commercials, radio, audio, corporates, everything to try and give us fuller career for our clients and for the long-term survival. It's mm. a tough industry, so the more areas in which one can work comfortably, the better. And do you have to be quite strict about how many people you take on so that y- you can show them all the same Yeah, care? absolutely. You need, we need to be careful. I mean, we have a team of people with us, you know, working in Shepherd Fox, um, and I've got a great team, and they're brilliant, <laughs> and they're great fun, you know, and that's really important, and they work really well together. Um, uh, client-wise, we have to be careful that all our clients are different. We don't want our clients competing with each other. We want all of them going in and nabbing the jobs and not competing. Yeah. So we've got a complete range from a 17-year-old up to a 94-year-old who has still been filming recently. Wow. And everything in between. So, you know, or obviously everything. Every, you know, all types, race, culture everything quite fast quite quite interesting diverse work for you yeah. then with all these different people yeah. and different hugely projects. diverse yes you don't want them to compete against each other but what do you look for then in in clients well you have to believe that they are really talented i know that sounds silly but some people different people will relate to so we need people that we believe in wholeheartedly that you can sell if you don't think somebody is talented enough it is very hard to push them out there and sell them Um, so first of all talent secondly that they don't clash with people on our books thirdly that they fit within our ethos that we're going to be able to work with them um, objectively honestly openly (laughs) because there has to be a degree of trust between the agent and the client and if there isn't again if that trust has gone it's very hard to represent somebody I've discovered that it never occurred to me in the early days, it's very, very hard to represent somebody you don't like. Because if you don't like them or connect with them, I mean, you don't have to be bosom buddies, but if you don't like them or connect with them, it's very hard to wholeheartedly believe in them. Is that because when you're on the phone to a director or whatever, you have to, they're not going to give them the job if they don't believe that you really care about that person? Um, Yeah, I just don't think, as hard as you try you can sell them and put them across as positively if you if there is some if there's a block there whatever it is a lack of trust or a lack of talent or whatever so therefore we're very careful so that our client list we believe in we um you know we like we relate to and we can push really hard to um casting directors directors producers so often i suppose you must spend a lot of times saying no to people and saying sorry or not even having time to say no to people you know yeah what, what's how, how tough is it for people it's very tough and as an you know as an actor of old i i know how hard it is and i know how tough it is when you don't get response responses from agents or um industry professionals i we do really try and respond to everybody in reality no now the volume is so great that we get approaching us every day it's simply not possible to assess everybody immediately and get back to them. So although 
we would like to, the reality is that's very, very hard now because it is time-consuming to properly assess somebody mm. to do it properly, and we do try to do it properly. Um, it takes time, and we therefore have to have the time spare to do that. And does that involve like looking at their show reel and then yeah. then bringing them in for an audition? Is that how that works? It's, we try to see their work li- live if we can. They, if we can't see live if, uh, anything live if they're not in theatre or they don't want to be doing theatre, yes, we need to see a show reel, um, preferably showreel clips whatever they've got um we wouldn't take anybody on without seeing their work obviously because you have to be able to believe in them and know they're talented um um so yes seeing their work um assessing whether there is space it depends on our numbers too because we we can't have hundreds and hundreds of people because then you can't do the, the job properly for anybody so it depends if there is space um and um, if we think we can sell them, you know, um, we're lucky. We have a lot of our list working and a lot of our list working in different areas. As I said, film, telly, theatre, musicals, um, commercials. Um, occasionally, we will push people out there that we know are really brilliant and they'll get seen, but they don't get the job. Um, or sometimes it's hard to even get them in the room and then we have to accept okay maybe they need to be represented by someone else and that's really hard too especially when it's people you really like and you know and you know they're brilliantly talented but just occasionally that happens and if they move then another approach with slightly different contacts may just do the job for them how difficult is it that conversation when you sit down and say listen i can't it's not working. It's horrible. It's the worst bit of being an agent. And it's something that I never considered when I set up the agency. But, you know, again, it's perhaps the, the, the old nurse in me, you know, that sort of caring side and that nurturing side. You want to be able to make it right. And actually, sometimes you can't. So, again, it's being honest and it's being open and it's being direct, really. So if that's the worst side of what you do at the moment, what's the, what's the best side? Oh, that's a good question. Um, when you bring somebody through and you watch them grow and develop and fly and, you know, get lovely job after lovely job and preferably in all areas. And um, it's great when a client, we're loyal to a client and a client is loyal to us and we support them in that. And we have got clients we've taken literally from drama school in the early days who are still with us, who've, you know been uh, original cast in West End musicals and then have ended up at the RSC and then have done big feature film, blockbuster feature films and that's really satisfying, you know, and um, yeah, that's great. Of course, occasionally they'll leave you. You start them on their path and they then go, oh, okay, I'm going to that agency. They're bigger and (laughs) they've been around longer and you can't, you know, you can't knock that. It's the individual's um, right, you know, it's up, up to the actor where they want to be represented. But when people do stick with us and we do support them and it works, it's very satisfying. Yeah, I bet it is. So, with that um, new perspective of your 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 third career, <laughs> looking back on on the office, uh, how do you how do you reflect on the casting that was done for the office? I think it was really clever, interesting varied um um you know bringing in the swindon lot (laughs) Uh, 
was great and how it was done was clever because, of course, we were established as a unit first. <laughs> and so there naturally were those getting to know the other lot. Um, but it worked brilliantly, you know, and ultimately um, we were all professionals and we got on with it. I, no, I think, I think it was really good. I think, um, um, well, Tracy Gilliam and Rachel Freck are both top of the game. You know, they've both done amazing work and actually very different styles of comedy but um, both brilliant and lovely. And as an agent, I've taken both of them to see our clients in productions. Um, and they're both, you know, really entertaining and fun to be with. So with all the uh, experience and knowledge that you have now, uh, what, would you, what would you say to the 2001 Jane Lucas advice? <laughs> what would I say to me? Yeah. Enjoy every moment. And... Um, uh, enjoy the journey and the people and uh, keep open and um, keep learning I suppose I mean we never stop learning do we no um, yeah and and just keep yourself out there I remember when I was at drama school uh, a visiting tutor came in and said he was sort of advising about career and how to manage your career and he said don't worry about writing, um, whatever, 20 letters once a month. Try and do something every day, whether it's a letter a day or whatever it is. Try and keep your career moving forward. And that was brilliant advice because actually um, you stay motivated, you stay positive in an industry where you are not constantly. And I see that, knew that as an actress, but you see it every day as an agent. Um, and by trying to keep yourself positive, motivated, um, and proactive, I think that goes a very long way. And do that in conjunction with your agent, you know, and that's what we, we would say, you know, keep yourself out there, keep yourself positive. So um, bringing it back to the office, how do you reflect broadly on the whole experience? I was very lucky to have it. And um, it's opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and as I've already said, I met some amazing people. And I'm still in touch with a number of them, you know, which is great. Um, yeah, financially also very grateful. Because as I've said, that allowed me to take the risk and set up the agency. So that's led on to a whole different path. Where I've actually combined, I suppose, the nursing skills with the management and business side from the post-operative pain side, so the management and setting up a business and the caring and almost counselling sometimes when things aren't good for your client list um, with the industry side of things and the contacts that I picked up along the way as an actor. Having said that, when I set up the agency, I deliberately kept it very separate because I was still doing bits of acting. So it was Jane Lucas, actress, but Jane Shepherd, Shepherd Fox, agent. And people didn't know I was the same person for a long period of time. And that happened one day when um, I took a casting director to see a client in something in the West End. And, um, and she said, how will I recognise you? And I said, well, actually, you know me because you cast me some years ago <laughs> as whatever it was. And she went, oh, my God. She said, all that time I've known you and I just thought it was some posh bird I was talking to, <laughs> which made me laugh anyway. And she was great, and you know, um, but I deliberately kept it very separate, so there was no conflict of interest. I always had my own agent. I've never represented myself or anything like that. 
you should have said there's this wonderful uh, actress Jane Lucas I'm <laughs> <laughs> really recommending that might have confused us slightly when we came face to face well thank you very much for talking to me it's been an absolute pleasure well, it's been lovely thanks George thank you well I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jane Lucas if you did please like subscribe or leave a review we're on Twitter at what an office pod and can be reached on email at waopod at outlook.com. See you again next time.